Job, if, if you were here with us last week, we started into this, this, amazing, <laughs> this amazing book. And if some of you have read ahead, as I know some of you have, um, it really, it's, it's truly an, an incredible work of literary, it's a literary masterpiece. Even secular people, secular critics, if you would, look at the book of Job and say, what a, it's, a, it's a masterpiece of, of literature. But it goes so far beyond that. There's, there's so many truths, so many things foundational to us as we move through this in the lives that we live every day to day, so many practical things in the book of Job. We mentioned that quite possibly um, and more probably than possibly that Job lived around the time of Abraham. It, we don't, it's not dated for us. We don't know those things exactly. There's some evidences that we pointed out last time. But quite possibly one of the very first books written, even probably written before the time of Moses. And so as we're looking at this, kind of put that in, in perspective, and we looked at this last time, we are introduced right away into a scene that we don't, we don't see anywhere else, kind of peeling back the, the, the veil of heaven, if you would. And we see that, that God is on his throne and before him are the angels. And we, saw, we talked about that last time, not just the angels that serve him, but also fallen angels that are, that are there before him and, and giving an account of things. And, and God asks Satan, who is there? What have you been doing? He said, well, I've been roaming around the earth. I've been looking at things here and there and paying attention. And God said, hey, have you noticed my man Job? <laughs> my servant Job? There's nobody else like him. There's nobody else like him in, in all of the world. He, he, he loves me. He serves me. A man of great integrity. And Satan said, well, of course. Why, why wouldn't he? You've blessed him so much. Job was an extremely wealthy man. Had a great family. We talked about that last time. Many possessions. Very well respected. Not only, not only in his town, in his city, but we said like in all of the east, there was nobody better than him, nobody greater than him. He wasn't a king, but very highly respected everywhere. We're going to see that he had friends that even reached out into other areas far away. And Satan said, well, of course, of course he's going he's to honor you. Of course he's going to live like that with how you've blessed him so much. Let me at him a little bit and we'll see what happens. He'll curse your face. He'll curse you right to your face. And it says that God told him, he gave him permission he said, you do what you, what you desire with Job, but don't touch his body. Don't harm him physically. And so we talked about the fact that Satan took full advantage of the, what God allowed him to do. And he destroyed, destroyed his possessions. He destroyed his belongings. You know, many of his servants were, were killed. His livestock stolen. You know, other, you know, just decimated personal property. But the worst of all, all of it, all 10 of his children killed in one day in a tragic accident that takes place. And as we closed our time together last time, we were talking about the fact that how do you process that? How do you put that into perspective? And if you didn't, if you weren't here last time, I encourage you to go online and watch that because it really helps kind of put some things into, I mean, they, we're never, we're not going to get the answers to why. I think sometimes we can, we come to a book of Job and we start reading it and we're going like, man, I, I'm going to keep reading because I want to get some answers that I'm sure Job had, like why and what and when and how much and all of those questions. Well, 
as we mentioned last time, as we begin this, we need to understand as we move through this that Job is not as much a book of explanation as it is a book of revelation. We're going to see that Job doesn't get answers to those questions as to why and, and, and when and all of those types of things, but he meets God on a, on a new level. He understands God in a far greater way, in a way that he could never have done outside of going through what he did. And when we get to chapters 40, 41, 42, as we work through the end, we'll, we'll see that. But one of the things that, that we have to come to also understand as we move through this is a lot of people give, look at suffering and, and that type of stuff and, and can take it a lot of lo, the wrong way too. We have to understand that this scene isn't how, how it all takes place all the time up in heaven. That's not, you know, there, there are different suffering, different things that we go through. The most of it is because, guys, we live in a fallen world. It's because sin has entered the world. It's not up there because the, all of the demons say, let me at him, let me do this, let me do this. And God says, yes, yes, no, no, yes, 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 no, 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 no. And that's not what's going on. We do know, the Bible tells us that God will not allow us to be tested, tempted, tried beyond what we are able. But those things come in all sorts of different varieties. We need to understand, James tells us very specifically and clearly that God does not tempt anyone. Temptation that comes, none of it ever comes from God. Temptation to sin. Testing in order for our growth, yes. But temptation to sin, God never tempts anyone. But it also tells us that God is not tempted to evil. God is not, it's not like, like uh, Satan's up there and, and he's t- bringing this temptation to God and God succumbs to t- Satan's pressure or temptation. No, God again is in control all of the time. He will use all of these things as the promises that come to us too in Romans chapter 8 as believers that God works all things together for good. For those who love God and called according to his purposes. We aren't going to get explanations on a lot of those things. But we can't see behind the scenes. We read this story and, and if you, you know, again, if you just can't wait until we get there, read, read the end. <laughs> Spoiler alert, God blesses Job at the, end of the, at the end of the book and all this, you know. But we don't know that. Job didn't know that. Through that, and we don't understand that and know that when we're going through things. We don't see behind the scenes. We don't understand that. And what we see in, in Job, and we're going to see that play out very clearly for us when we get into chapter three tonight, that there's the questioning, there's this wrestling of who God is. Why would, you know, again, why would he allow this? Why would it go on? And again, we, we, don't, we don't understand. I, I mentioned last time, and I, I thank God one of the things that he doesn't do for me is to tell me what's coming. I, Paul, he did. That, that's one of the things that, I, again, I can't wait to, to meet Paul. I'm, I'm having coffee with Paul in heaven. I just, I'm, I can't wait to talk with him. About, but one of the things it tells us about Paul that on top of how great all of the other stuff is, one of the verses that's in there about Paul in the book of Acts that blows me away is the Lord told the man who would bring sight back to touch him and bring his sight back. He said, I will show Paul all that he must suffer for my namesake. Paul knew all of this stuff was going to come, all the suffering, all the betrayal, all of that stuff. And he was, yes, Lord, whatever, whatever you say. Well, he didn't show Job. All of this, again, totally catches him off guard. 
He wasn't, he wasn't prepared for this knowing that it was coming, but he was prepared because he had a right relationship with God. And notice at the, verse 22 at the end of, verse, of chapter one, though through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Now, as we move now into chapter two, we don't know the time frame. It says, starts off, again, there was a day. We don't know how long there was between these two events that take place. But we see that there is another time when, when the, the evil spirits, the angels, I mean, are up there as, as well as the other angels. It tells us the same way as in chapter one, when the sons of God, again, angelic beings, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it, like he'd said before. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth and blameless and an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil, and he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. He still holds fast to his integrity, even though what, what you said was going to happen, Satan, didn't happen, did it? Satan answered and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Satan says to him, well, of course. Again, he's, he, he's relentless. He's, well, of course. I mean, you, you only let me go so far. I mean, he, he's, he's probably figuring that, that he just keeps like this. You'll let him have another family. You'll, you'll, he, he can go back into business. He can make all of this back. He's done it once. By your blessing, he'll do it again. But I tell you what. You touch his body, you, 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 you really get after him that way, he'll curse you for sure. The Lord said, behold, he's in your power, only spare his life. You can't take his life, you cannot kill him. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord to smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Again, Satan taking full license to go to the nth degree as God, again, but no further than God would allow. And it tells him that he covered his body with sore boils. I don't know if there's any other kind, but these emphasizing the pain that is involved with these. And I, I've never suffered from a single boil. Won't ask for anybody who has. We don't need to share the experience, but... Extremely painful, excruciating. And it tells us they were covering him from his top of his head to the soles of his feet. You don't need to turn here. I'm just going to jump ahead to chapter 7 and read as he's, he's, he explains it himself a little bit more. He says, so I, am I allotted months of vanity and nights of trouble are appointed me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I rise? It's like, have you ever had those nights when you're in bed and you're like, when is morning coming? I got to get out of bed. I'm so miserable here in bed. But night continues. I am continually tossing until dawn. 
Verse five says this, my flesh is covered with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. He had reached a point, and there's, he's, there's several other times where he talks about the physical condition, but so much pain, he can't wash himself. Because of that, the, the wounds are festering and worms and skin dry but oozing and running. I mean, it's, I'm not trying to gross you out. I'm trying to bring to this. I mean, it is about as bad as it can get physically. He can't sleep. It tells us that, that he can't, it hurts for him to swallow. His throat is, is, is so painful. And all of these things as it goes through. And I got to tell you, it tells us here, you know, that he still holds fast his integrity. We're going to see that he continues to, this, this man like this, I am such a wimp. I, I, God has blessed me with, with good health. I was talking earlier, Justin was saying, he's, he's, he's got a headache today and he's mess, he, that's kind of messing with him. And I'm like, I am such a wimp even with that. I, when I get a headache, I'm like, oh, and mine's nothing. Poor Bob, he, he suffers from migraines and he still comes to elder meetings and still does all this kind of stuff with migraines going on and I get a little headache and I'm like, I gotta call in sick. I just, my wife knows. I mean, I'm the biggest, biggest wimp when it comes to, and I'm sitting here going, my goodness, this guy going through, through all of this, still holding fast to his integrity and I'm, I'm challenged in that and I, I've seen so many others that walk away their, their integ- from their integrity for so much less. And here's this great man of God who says, you know, he's lost everything. And now his, now his health is to this point. And when it says here that he was sitting among the ashes, that, that references the fact that it had gotten to the point where it's so bad, he's, he's actually not living in his home anymore. That's If you read in chapter 19, he talks about the fact he's not even in his home anymore. His servants won't, won't have anything to do with him anymore. His family wants nothing to do with him. He's actually out living in the garbage dump. Among the ashes, that's where they would bring their garbage and their waste, sewage to, to burn and wild dogs and, and everything out there. It's just, that's where he was. Verse nine, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Thanks, honey. You know, it's, it's interesting when the enemy was given full license to do whatever he wanted, what he took and what he left. And I don't, I, I don't know what you think of when you think of, of Job's wife. I mean, she gets, she gets a pretty bad rap for this one statement, but think of everything she's been through. Think of all that she has suffered through. Everything Job, aside from the physical suffering that Job is going through, she's suffered along with him. And then I don't know how many of you have had a spouse or a loved one close to you that has gone through intense physical suffering, but how, what that does to you, 
I believe her heart is when she's saying curse God and die, it is because she doesn't want to see her husband suffer anymore. I mean, I could be wrong in that. I might be reading something in there that's not that too. But I, I believe that's coming from a, a heart that says, you know, she, just, just get it over with. That, to see him suffer and, and go on like that. And kind of like, you know, you've heard of the term suicide by cop. You know, wanting to end your life, but you don't want to take it yourself. So you're going to antagonize a cop with a gun so that they shoot you and kill you. you I mean, you're going into it to die. This is kind of like suicide by God. You're not going to kill yourself, but curse God to the point where he kills you and, and ends it. And I say that interesting who he takes and who he leaves because it's, it's a very real thing that the enemy can use those closest to us, even though they're not willing participants, even those that love us very dearly, to, to get to us. And we have to be careful in that as, as followers of Christ. We're not, we're not immune to that, to what the enemy want, might want to try to use to, to thwart the plans of God. Case in point, Peter loved the Lord Jesus, loved God, even heard directly from God because he was the one who answered when Jesus said, you know, who do men say that I am? And he's, they said, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. Some, and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus himself said, Peter, blessed are you. You are a blessed man because you didn't come up with that on your own. All 12 of you coming together, sitting around together, couldn't have come up with that answer. God gave you that answer. The Father gave you that insight. Just a few verses later, Jesus sharing with them that he must go and he must suffer and he must die. Peter stands up and says, may it never be, Lord. No way. Kind of like saying, not on my watch. And what was Jesus' response to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Because you're not, you're not looking out for the things of God here. You're being used, Peter, as an instrument of Satan to come against the things of God. And what Peter meant in a, in a positive thing. I mean, he, would, he thought what he was saying and doing was right, but the enemy was trying to use that to stop what God was doing. Another example in the book of Acts, chapter 21, Paul is in, is in Caesarea. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And a man named Agabus stands up and takes Paul's belt and he wraps it around his arms and he said, the owner of this belt will be bound like this by the rulers within, within Jerusalem and handed over to the Gentiles. And everybody saw that it was Paul's belt. And so they start pleading with Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. And he's like, and I'm paraphrasing, you guys are killing me. Because I'm, been, I'm prepared for this. I'm prepared not only to go and get bound up and tied up, I am prepared to go and die if that's what my Lord Jesus wants. And then it says that they then realized they weren't going to 
They weren't going to get anywhere. Again, stopping the plans of the Lord. The Holy Spirit, he had already told them, the Holy Spirit has been bearing witness every city I've been going to that I'm going to go there and it's not going to end well. I'm going to get, this is, this is, this is where I'm headed. And Paul was on, his head is, he's set. This is where the Lord is taking me. And these people who loved Paul and loved God, the enemy tried to use to, to thwart the plans. And I, I, again, I say all of that to say, guys, we have to be really careful. We have to, we have to be slow to speak. We need to pray and, and ask for wisdom in areas, especially when, when people are suffering, when people are going through trials, because we can often get in the way if we're not careful of what God is doing. God is doing something here. He is allowing this to happen, and we'll see it unfold as we go. And she says this. Look at his response to her. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women as they speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. That word is interesting. I'd like to one point it out as I was reading today. That word accept, your translation might be receive. It says that that is an active word implying cooperation with the providence of God, not merely submission. And there's a difference. He says, shouldn't we accept also whatever God has from us, cooperating with whatever it is that he's doing, not just submitting to like, all right, Lord, if you want to beat me to a pulp, go ahead. But what would you, what would you have for me? Because if our, if our question and if our, our, our focus is, how can I get out of this? We're speaking foolishly. Wisdom would say, not how can I get out of this, but what can I get out of this? Lord, what is it that you're, that you're doing in this? And I don't want to miss out. I don't want to get out too soon. I don't want to waste the opportunity to receive all that God has for me. And that takes great faith, right? I mean, again, God showed Paul all that it would take. He doesn't show us. And I wonder how much of it we miss all that God has for us because we're not willing recipients of it. We're always looking, how can I get out of it? As opposed to what, what can I get out of it? I, I loved this quote that I read today too. It said, if Columbus would have turned back no one would have blamed him. But if Columbus would have turned back, no one would have remembered him. It's like, you know, we, we all want to be used greatly by God, right? We all want to say, God, at the end of it all, we want to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. We all, we all want to do that. But how many of us, and I'm challenged in this myself, how many of us try to get out of what God has for us as opposed to embracing everything, regardless of what that is? And when we, when we express it that way and when we go that way, every experience in our life becomes an occasion of blessing, regardless. But that takes great faith. It's easier to, it's easier to, to, to run around that than to raise our faith to that level. But... Anyway, he said, 
Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Adversity, whatever God would allow, whatever God would bring. Now, verse 11, when Job's three friends heard all this adversity that had come upon him, they came one each from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, the shortest man in the Bible, Okay, got it. You got. I got to lighten it up a little bit. It's kind of heavy stuff right now. Okay, and Zophar, the Namathite, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. These three men coming from three different areas. Again, friends of Job. They. They hear what's going on and they, they get a hold of each other and they agree, let's, hey, let's come together and go and, and, and be there for our friend. Notice they came to sympathize with him. They came to, to comfort him. When they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they saw him where he was. First of all, they wouldn't expect him to be where he was, but then to his body and the condition that it was in, they didn't even recognize him. They raised their voices and wept, and each of them tore their robe, and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky, again, a way of intense mourning, displaying that in that culture. Verse 13, then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. Can I just say again, if you've read through the book of Job, if you've read a summary of the book of Job, if you've, you know, whatever it might be. First of all, his wife gets a bad rap, right? Because of what we just read. And who else? His three friends, right? It's almost like, you know, who wants friends like that as as we get into it? But let me just point out to you before we get into in coming weeks, they're, they're less than good advice as we move through all of this. Who wouldn't want friends like this? that were willing to leave wherever they were and travel a great distance, coming together to notice, to sympathize with him, to to have compassion on him, to, to comfort him. And notice what it says. I mean, this is, verse 13 is, is amazing. They sat down on the ground with him. Remember where he is. He's in the garbage dump. They didn't, go to the, they didn't go to the hospital to visit him. They didn't say, hey, you know what? We'll be at the house. You know, if you want to cut. They went to the garbage dump and they sat with him. And notice they didn't just hang out for a few minutes. Seven days. Seven nights. They slept there. They stayed there. And they also, they didn't say anything. They were just there for him. Because again, like we said last time, how do you process everything that Job's gone through? Unfortunately, they are going to say something. <laughs> but right now, this is great advice for us. Because I, I don't know about you, but 
when I go in situations like this, and I, I am, as a pastor, I'm called to this often, and I've learned this. Often, oftentimes, the best thing to say is nothing. Because I don't understand the depth of the, the pain that you're feeling. I don't understand the depth of the sorrow that you're experiencing. My heart breaks for you. I have great compassion for you. But I, I say this often because, again, I, God has blessed me. I haven't experienced that type of suffering, that kind of pain, losing people that, that close to me, health and, and all of that. I haven't experienced that. So I will oftentimes say, I, I, I don't know what to say, and I don't have any answers for you. But I know who does. So I would love to go before his throne together with you. Guys, can I just give you advice? All of us, please take, the, take note of these, these guys. There's going to be a lot of don't do what these guys did in coming chapters. But in these three verses, there's some great things for us to learn as, as friends. Go. Have compassion. Sit. Just be there. Don't say anything. Just be there. God might give you a word. God, God might share that with you. But, but just, just be there. You have no idea how much that means. Just be in there. And then the last thing we see as we transition into chapter 3 is they listened. They listened to what Job said. And we get into this now. Job's the one who breaks the silence after, after seven days sitting there together. Notice he didn't say anything either. There was, what do you say? But he does. He finally breaks the silence in chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, afterward, Job, Job opened his mouth and cursed, not God, cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was to be born. And the night which said, a boy is conceived. May that day be darkness. Let not God above care for it, nor light shine on it. Let darkness and black gloom claim it. Let a cloud settle on it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joy shout enter into it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who, pre who are prepared to rouse Leviathan. Let the stars of its twilight be darkened. Let it wait for light but have none. And let it not see the breaking dawn because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. One little side note before we get into what Job said. Just circle this, if you, how, whatever it's translated there in verse 3. A boy, let not, and the night which said, a boy is conceived. Circle that. A boy is conceived. Not a massive clump of cells started dividing. A human life conceived. And goes beyond that. 
scientists will argue all day long as to when sex is determined. At, at conception right here, a boy is conceived. But back to Job's, Job's lament as he opens up. He curses the day he was born. The day on the calendar, my birthday. Let it be dark. Let it be, let it be to the point where it's, he says, no, no shout of joy under it. No happy birthday. No singing. That's uh, cursing the day's born. And can I just say the thing that I appreciate about this is the fact that here it's laid out for us. It's just honest heart is just pouring out. He doesn't curse God, but there's an honesty in this. That's, that's, he's just brutally honest. I wish I had never been born. Now, when we're facing intense pain and hurt, we say and do things, right, that we later regret. We forget things. I mean, Job has lived an incredibly blessed life to this point. And in the midst of intense suffering, we can forget all of that. I'm sure later on, as Job reflects back, he regrets probably even saying this. But guys, be honest. <laughs> when you're going through suffering, when you're going through pain, when you're going through trials, be honest. First of all, be honest with God. You're not fooling him anyway. Share it. Just be honest with him about what you're feeling, what you're going through. That's the first step towards him being able to do anything. You stand all, all that he, he knows. But also, it's good to have people, friends close enough that you can be brutally honest with too and just be able to unload that. And he does. He just, he just unloads. And he's, he's talking about, you know, again, the, the day. I wish it had never happened. I wish I'd never been born. The fact that the, the day that commemorates that, I just wipe it off the calendar. The verse 8, you might have some question around that. Let those who curse it, let those curse it who curse the day, who are prepared to rouse Leviathan. Most believe that that is speaking even out those that were uh, mystics and that type of stuff that would draw up curses and that type of thing. And Leviathan, the, the speaking of, of dragons or, or a lot, oftentimes is referred to even as like dinosaurs, that type of stuff. But here pointing to the, in that culture, in that time, you know, Eastern culture had all, for a long time had already had these dragons, fire breathing, smoke breathing, that type of stuff. And so he's saying, even those that would rouse that up, uh, he basically saying, hey, everybody, let's all get together and curse this day that I was born. Verse 11, why did I not die at birth? So going past now, okay, the, the, the day I was born, that it, now that it happened, why didn't I die when I was born? Come forth from the womb and expire. Why did the knees re receive me? And why did the breast that I should suck? For now, I would have lain down and be quiet. I would have slept then. I would have been at rest with kings and with counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold or who were filling their houses with silver or like a miscarriage which is discarded, I would not be. As infants that never saw light. There the wicked cease from raging. And there the weary are at rest. The prisoners are at ease together. They that do not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there. And the slave is free from his master. He's saying, okay, well, I was born. 
Why didn't I just die right away? Why wasn't there death that could have taken me out of this, this pain and this suffering, take me right to, to Sheol? That's what, that's what he's referring to as this place where they believed that, that people went after death to Sheol. He asks why. And as I started out at the beginning, God doesn't always answer that question. It's okay to ask it. It's okay to ask why. Just don't demand that God give you an answer because he doesn't owe you one. He may answer. He may give the answer, but you know, as I'm thinking through this too, oftentimes when we get the answer, it doesn't eliminate the pain, does it? I mean, when you want to know why your leg is hurting so bad. You go, you go and you have an x-ray and the doctor said, well, your leg is broken. Does that make it not hurt anymore? <laughs> you know why it hurts, but it still hurts. The, the thing that we have as Christians that goes way beyond an answer as to why <laughs> is we have great and magnificent promises. That's why I... I asked James and Melissa to sing that song, that last one. They did that at my request, that it is well. Because it doesn't matter what we face and go through, guys, when we can hold on to that promise. It is well with my soul because the redeemer of my soul has made great and magnificent promises to us. Again, that we'll, that we'll never go through anything alone. He will always go through it with us. He'll be there at the beginning. He'll be there through it. He'll be there at the end. I love the line in that song that we sang that uh, let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and winds still know his name. That the storm that he and the disciples were in, in the middle of the boat, the middle of the sea of Galilee, he's asleep. They wake him up. They're all panicking, freaking out. We're going to die. We're going to die. He just turns to the storm and he says, be still. And in a moment, the waves and wind still know his name. It's going to be a word that comes from the Lord that, that restores Job at the end. And even if the suffering and the pain, and whatever it is that we're going through physically or emotionally right now, doesn't end with restoration here, I can tell you one day, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. <laughs> Great and magnificent promises. That the time, at times too, when we get into struggling, when we get into pain, when we get into these types of things, we can, we can start letting our mind and our, our, our ideas go into things that aren't, that aren't true. Like, I'm the only one feeling this, or, you know, all of those types of things. Here, and... This, is, this was common in the time. It hadn't been revealed. Like I said, at the time of Job, there was no written word of God yet. Like I said, this is, this is long time before Moses, more than likely. A lot of oral tradition, a lot of things handed on. You know, uh, if he was at the time of Abraham, Melchizedek, you know, the, in that time frame, you know, the, the, God was worshiped and honored in, in places and, and an understanding, but still a lot of mystery about what's on the other side. And his thought is, you know, if only I was dead, I'd be where the place where even the wicked cease from raging. Not true. 
where the weary are at rest. You know, there was this idea where we all kind of go to this same place. Not that, not that we cease to exist. There was this understanding that there is something beyond us, but a very big misunderstanding about what all of that is. And when we're in our suffering, when we're in the middle of things, we can sometimes do that. I think of Psalm 73, where the, the author of, this, of the psalm is talking about, you know, it, it, it's really puzzling to me where and I look around and I see all of these people who hate God and it's, it, they, there's, no, there's no pain in their life. There's, there's nothing that's wrong with them. Everything seems to be, everything's just great. No problems. And I look at my life and I'm trying to honor God and I'm trying to live for God and I'm trying to do all of these things. And it seems like, man, it's just one thing after another, after another. Ever feel like that? <laughs> it's not true. There's, there's pain. But he, he said, the author of Psalm 73, as he moves along, he said, you know, I, I, if I'd have spoken these things out loud, what was going on inside as I'm struggling and going through all of this, like Job said it out loud to his friends, but he said, I would have, I'd have brought shame to God because I could have caused others to stumble with that. He says, none of it made sense until I came to the sanctuary of God. Until I got back to that place where I was, I was before God. Instead of focusing on the circumstances, looking all around me, I got before God again. And then, you know what? I saw their end. I saw, and I understand again how it ends for them. Might look like it's all good now, and it's not. We don't have to read too many, you don't have to stand in too many supermarket lines to see all the struggles that all of the world has everywhere. But this is as good as it gets for them. They face an eternity unless they come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus that is beyond, beyond anything that Job is experiencing now as far as, as pain and suffering, and it's an eternal. Whereas guys, for us, as followers of Jesus, this is as bad as it gets. We face a glory ahead of us. He, he continues, why is the light given to him who suffers and the life bitter to the soul? who long for death and there is none and dig for it more than hidden treasure. I mean, he's desiring death so much, even more so than treasures, who rejoice greatly and exult when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my groaning comes at the sight of my food. Again, he doesn't even want, it's like food, food comes, he's like, ugh, because it hurts to eat. And my cries pour out like water. For what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me, and I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I'm not at rest, but turmoil comes. What I fear comes upon me, what I dread befalls me. The only thing that makes sense to me there, what, was, what, was, what, was he, what could he have possibly been fearing? Was there something that he anticipated? And the only thing that would seem to make sense to me is, what if God's hand of favor is ever removed from me? And his thought now is, perhaps that's what happened. God, God doesn't love me anymore. And that's where, again, we go back to the promises that we know. That nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Again, we think of this, and, we, you know, again, I, praise the Lord that none of us have had to experience the extent of what Job has gone through. No doubt many of us here in this room have suffered greatly. 
But how do we, how do we process through this? And I'd, I'd like to, in the few minutes that we have left, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter one, beginning in verse eight, Paul says this, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength and note this so that we despaired even of life. Paul even got to this place. It doesn't mean that they were, <laughs> that they were going to kill themselves or whatever, just like Job. But they got to the point where they were like, man, I am at the end of myself, despairing even of life. Notice, indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. But here's the great part. So, Paul got it. So that purpose. We would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. The death that was even in ourselves, God used whatever we went through. When we got to the end of ourselves, we relied completely on him to revive that even within us, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, and he, um, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. He's always been faithful to deliver us. He's delivering us right now. And he always will. Because he's a faithful God, and like we talked about last time, a creator. Verse 11, this is, I love this. You also joining in helping us through your prayers. Guys, prayer is so important. Sometimes we think we got to say something to the person who's, who's suffering and struggling. No, be quiet to them and be praying to God. So that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Turn ahead real quickly to verse chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we, and now he's talking about all of us. This is, this, he was talking about he and those traveling with him specifically there. But now he's talking about, but we, all of us, as Christians, have this treasure. What treasure is that? The gospel, the, the truth of the gospel that we are to be proclaiming, that we are to be sharing, that we own individually in earthen vessels, still in this frail shell that can go through pain and suffering and difficulty and trial and persecution. So that purpose, the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God. And not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Again, he will never leave us or forsake us. Struck down, but not destroyed. Not literally perishing. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. Skip down, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, and that applies to all of us, our outer man is decaying. We feel it every day more and more. Notice, yet our inner man is being renewed how often? 
day by day. Every day. God is faithful to give you what you need day by day. He will give you today what you need for today. But what about tomorrow? (laughs) The good shepherd takes care of his sheep. Psalm 23, I love this. It radically changed the way I look at Psalm 23 when I found this truth out one time. Again, if you've ever been to Israel, you know what I'm talking about. He leads me beside green pastures. You and I, as, as Westerners, we think of green pastures as miles and miles of alfalfa, chest deep, as far as the eye can see. Yeah, just lay down in it all day long. Nope. A green pasture to a Jewish shepherd is a little tough to grasp. Because if you ever go to Israel and you see where the shepherds are, they're out in the desert. You think, what do these sheep eat? Rocks? No, the shepherd knows where to take them to get the tuft of grass. And that's why the sheep are just totally dependent on you. Don't, there's no such thing as a wild sheep. It can't survive. Shepherd takes tuft of grass, tuft of grass, little spot here, little spot there, because the shepherd knows where the grass, what about tomorrow? Ha, I'll take care of tomorrow, just eat today. Inner man renewed day by day. Here's the verse, guys. Verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Paul wrote that. Again, suffering that Paul went through, described for us, beaten, whipped, beyond, I mean, incredible physical suffering, unbelievable emotional suffering, separated, all of the, he said, the weight that he felt of, of, of all of the churches that he carried around with him, all of that, he, he said, momentary light affliction, eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison is what waits us. Job, momentary light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. While we look, verse 18, not on the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That word look, Greek word scopio, we get telescope, microscope from that to look. And I love that illustration too. I've talked of this before. It's, 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 it's funny how we, how we look at this because when, when Scopio, when, it be, when we look at something through a telescope or a microscope, it is magnified. Does it become bigger? No. But our perception of it changes. So what are you, Scopio? Where, what are you looking If our attention and our focus is on the problem, is on the issue, is on the everything, it becomes bigger to us. It becomes, and everything else, when you're looking through a telescope, a microscope, does everything else in the room disappear? No, but we don't see it. It's not in our focus anymore. So when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. 
Guys, the stuff we go through, the suffering, the pain, the trials, the difficulties, they are very real. What Job went through, this isn't, this isn't allegory. This is a real man who went through real intense suffering. But he has the same real God that you and I do, that oversees it all. Almighty, all-powerful God that loves you, cares for you. So whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're going through, if we focus on the problems, we can convince ourselves that, that things are out of control and we can get our minds can start thinking of all sorts of crazy things. That's why it's so important, the renewing of our mind. Focus on the Lord. Keep our eyes on Jesus, understanding that he will give us day by day what we need. Every day he's faithful. And if in that day, it means that we take our last breath here. It doesn't mean that he wasn't faithful. <laughs> You're just going to experience that first moment of glory that far outweighs any moment of suffering you've ever had here. And that's a promise. And we can hold on to that promise because he is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your promises. We, thankful, we are thankful for who you are, the one who makes those promises. <laughs> and Lord, I do pray for anyone here right now that's going through a trial, going through some real difficulty, going through some intense suffering. Lord, we, I pray right now that you would, through, through your Holy Spirit right now, bring comfort that surpasses anything because you are the God of all comfort. You're not the God of affliction. You are the God of comfort. Bring that comfort. And we can all say boldly and confidently that it is well with our souls because you are the lover of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.